Hi and welcome to The Kind Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. So this is our 100th episode. Don't know if you knew that, Caitlin, but it is. So thank you again to everyone for your support and kindness. You know, like we really do appreciate it. And so this week I am going to tell you about Robert Howard. have you heard of Robert Howard? It rings a bell, but I don't know why. So yeah, I think to... it's a very common name. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure of the ins and outs of this, so I'm going to say no. Okay, well, neither had I, but it did ring a few bells as well. So I'll start. This is also based in Ireland, some parts, so I just apologise in advance if I do pronounce things stupidly. But anyway... Robert Howard was born in Wolf Hill, County Leash, in the southeast of Ireland in 1944. He was a tall, gangly boy and he was bright enough at school and he was a bit edgy and easily distracted. He skived a lot, which meant he played truant. Um, his father worked in the local brick factory and he drank heavily in the local pub. And his mother had nine children to raise at home. So there would have been very little money brought into the home for everyone and also probably not a lot of time for one-on-one, I would imagine. Now, by the time he was 13, Robert was in trouble a lot. He was convicted of burglary He was, and he was sent to St Joseph's Industrial School in Clonel, not far from his home area. Now, this was a reformatory run by priests and brothers. Now, the truth about how such Irish Catholic institutions were run has been emerging throughout the years. And let's be honest, they don't have the best reputation. Uh, One former inmate of St Joseph's had actually said that these people were monsters. The place was unbelievable. We were starved. We were beaten with leather straps with coins sewn into them until we were bleeding. We had to gather turnips and stones from the local farmers. You had no name. You had a number. There were boys in there going around like zombies. We were terrified all the time. A lot of us were damaged for life. Love was never spoken of, never shown. There was never a comforting word, just relentless violence. There was also sexual abuse, which is very well known about. And I'm not just aiming this to Ireland in particular. I'm just stating that there was this sort of abuse that was right in the Catholic Church everywhere. I'm also not saying that it happened everywhere because, you know, as we know, Caitlin, there are good people in the world. Now, later on in life. Yeah. Now, later on in life as well, Robert Howard did claim that he was a victim of the sexual assault by the priests. Now, nothing was really there was no proof of this so I I don't have any information on that now on his release from St Joseph's Robert's father actually threw him out of the family home and so now he was 16 years old and living rough in barns and outhouses and possibly in old shafts and tunnels from the days when Wolf Hill had coal mines now one man who was a child in the 1950s He recalled making a disturbing discovery in his father's hay shed and he said that they had found old cans and blankets and that, you know, Howard must have been sleeping there. 
He also said that they found a diary and it was about how he wanted to break into women's houses when they were in the bath and the violent things he'd do to them. Now, this guy's father did catch them reading it, so they took it away from them. But note that comment because it will make more sense probably later on once you know more about what this guy is capable of. Another local man, um, he recalled being told by a neighbour that while out hunting one day, he had come on um, come upon a local farmer performing a sexual act on Robert as a teenager in the woods. Now, the man didn't intervene, but he did fire a shot into the air. So clearly he's had a childhood of it, you know. Robert continued to steal. He'd rob from local shops and take cars. And then he was sent to a second reform school in County Offaly, which was another of the most notorious in Ireland. And it was a brutal institution for young offenders. A former priest who worked there said the priests were programmed with an extraordinary level of violence and that most of the boys ended up totally disturbed. Howard soon moved to England, where in 1965, when he was 21, and he broke into a house in London and ordered a six-year-old girl to undress, claiming he was a doctor. He attempted to rape the child and hurt her. A week later, he returned and tried to break in again. This time he was caught. His punishment was nine days in a borstal, after which he was then sent back to Ireland. At that time, it was common for Irish criminals to be sent home in this way. And it was, you know, an informal deportation. But he didn't stay there long. In 1969, Howard broke into the home of a young married woman in Durham and attempted to rape her. She ran naked and screaming from the house. He grabbed her by the throat before neighbours managed to drag him away. He was sentenced to six years in jail and served three in Franklin Prison. During his time there, he assaulted a female member of staff. Yet he still only served three years. Now, by 1973, he was free and was again sent back to Ireland. Now, he used the name Leslie Cahill a few times and he got a factory job and then, um, which was in a seaside town of Yall in County Cork. One night in May that year, a 58-year-old woman who lived alone woke up to find Howard in her bedroom. He had broken into her house, which was beside his lodgings. He made her hand over money and keys, then forced her upstairs again, breaking her ankle in the process. He tied her to her bed, stuffed her mouth with cotton wool and raped her before driving off in her car. Now, she was a very vulnerable person and this was Willie Doyle, which was the then local guard age, uh, sergeant who said this. And then he also said that she might have suffocated, but luckily for her, her some relations called the next morning and found her. She was very traumatised. As one would be, can we just say. I was going to say, I didn't want to be rude there, but I was like, of course she's very traumatised. No matter how vulnerable she is, if someone did that to me, I'd be very traumatised. Yeah, exactly. This is also kind of starting to paint the scene of how maybe the police, etc. and the higher-ups are dealing with all of these things that Howard is doing. So just take wee notes of that. Now, Howard, though, was arrested at Dublin Airport. And apparently, and this is still Doyle who's speaking, that he was a very soft-spoken man. You would never imagine he could be violent. So a psychiatrist, Dr David Dune, who interviewed 
interviewed Howard at the time said he too was surprised by how Howard was extremely courteous. Um, he was a very refined man, but I had seen in his record and knew he was also extremely dangerous. I sensed and feared he had already killed someone. I knew his violence was likely to get far worse, especially towards women. I believed him to be an explosive psychopath. I wanted him to be sent to jail for an indefinite period. So for this, Howard could have got life because, you know, the psychiatrist is saying that he's a dangerous man. But instead, he got 10 years and he was out again in 1981. An internal guard bulletin noted that he had returned to Wolf Hill and local opinion is that he's not going to waste any time before returning to his old tricks. So they know all of this, yet they're still letting him roam free. Now, a woman who remembers him from this time, she actually had her own awful experience of sexual assault and things when she was a teenager. Now, it wasn't from Robert, but it was from her dad. And in 1981, just aged 15, she was pregnant with her father's child and he was beating her and raping her all the time and used to take pornographic pictures of her, which he'd show to other men in local pubs. Now, why am I telling you this? Because his dad also knew Robert Howard and they were friends. Now, the woman did recall saying that Bob used to come to our house sometimes at night and he and my father would drink whiskey and other drinks together. She says, my father would say to him, where have you been? He'd say, I've been visiting relations and her father would laugh. Now, she always felt that it was some sort of code. She also says that he was a very creepy man but him and her father were birds of a feather. So Also, sorry, yeah. but fuck them guys that he was showing the photos to that didn't report it. They're as bad. Yeah, 100%. And I feel that happens way, way, way too often. Or at least it did. But, you know. Now, her father was eventually jailed. For how long? Seven years. Now, in 1983, Howard got married to a young woman he met in Dublin Hospital. The marriage lasted three years. They lived at various addresses in Dublin, and she too was described as a vulnerable with emotional troubles. Now, her friends also revealed that Howard was violent and cruel to her. And in 1988, he was jailed for 15 months for larceny. Now, he went to Northern Ireland in 1990 to attend an alcohol treatment unit run by nuns in Newry in County Down. It was at around this time that he met Pat Quinn and moved to Castle Derg. He lived at first in a caravan park on the edge of the town where many of those awaiting public housing lived. Not long after he arrived there in 1991, a young woman came from Dublin to stay with him. He was 47, she was 22. He tied her up and raped her repeatedly, was extremely violent and kept her as a prisoner until three weeks later, her parents arrived and took her home. The woman became pregnant as a result of the rape and the details of what happened to her did not emerge until her family told the guard six years later in 1997. Police decided she was too vulnerable to give evidence and Howard was not charged. Now, his next known victim was Priscilla Gann. 
1993, Priscilla left home at 15 years old, emerging from a troubled childhood. Her mother had been killed in an accident when she was just five years old, and by the time she was 15, her father was finding it hard to control her and her siblings. Now, Priscilla had said, There were ten of us. My friend had moved up to the north, and I decided to follow. I was running away from Daddy, really, but it wasn't his fault. I was wild. Her friend's boyfriend knew a middle-aged woman called Pat Quinn, who said she could stay in her house in Castle Derg, where she lived with her own teenage daughter, Donna. Now, Castle Derg is a small Northern Irish town, and it was deeply aff- aff- sorry, affected by the Troubles. Now, Priscilla liked it. She got a job washing dishes in a Chinese restaurant, and she became part of a circle of teenagers, including Donna and Arlene Arkinson. Their social life revolved around nights and bars and discos and neighbouring towns in Tyrone. They also went to Donegal in the Republic. Robert Howard, then nearly 50 years old at that time, was Pat Quinn's boyfriend, though he was more interested in the teenage girls he met through Donna. He let them stay at his flat that he now had on Main Street. Now, Priscilla said that he knew I had nothing. He knew everything about me. He brought me cigarettes and runners and things. He used to bring us up to the bog to cut turf. He brought me out for drinks. I knew him as Bob. He called me Mick. He was so nice to me. He was from the South like me. I'd left Daddy and he was like a daddy who let me do what I wanted. I thought the world of him. Now, a few months after Priscilla had arrived in Castle Derg, Howard suggested an elaborate plan to her. Ostensibly, he was fixing her up with a young taxi driver, she fancied. She was to tell everyone she was going away for the weekend, get a bus to the next town and then come back secretly to meet Howard and the taxi driver at his flat. Except the taxi driver never came. Howard took Priscilla to the pub in the village um, over that night, but left when they saw someone they knew. Priscilla said that she was afraid. I don't remember why. When we got to the flat, I had a pounding headache. He gave me some pills. I remember sitting on his knee. I remember nothing then until I woke up the next morning naked in his bed. He started coming on to me and I said no. He said I hadn't said that last night. He started getting annoyed then, and that is when he put the rope around my neck. Robert Howard raped Priscilla repeatedly in every way, tightening a rope around her neck when she tried to stop him. In her words later in court, she said, I was roaring, crying, and he told me to shut up, that he was going to do what he was doing, whether I was alive or dead. On the third day, While Howard was asleep, Priscilla crept upstairs and found a window she could open in the second storey room where he apparently kept caged birds. She jumped and then ran to the police station around the corner. She was only 16 years old. When Priscilla told police she'd been raped, she felt they didn't believe her. She said, they banged the table and shouted at me. They wanted to know why she hadn't tried to get away sooner and why she did not initially tell them about her interest in the taxi driver. Looking back, she can see the control Howard had over her because it was the way he had me thinking. There was compelling evidence to back her account of what had happened. There were strangulation marks on her neck, her fingerprints on the windowsill from which she had jumped 
there was also a rope. And yet all these police can focus on is why didn't they tell her about the taxi driver? Now, Priscilla was taken to a children's home and soon afterwards she did return to her family and then to a job in England. Now, Howard was arrested and released on bail. He was ordered to stay with the Quinns, even though this was a household that included the teenage Donna. He was instructed not to go out at night or into pubs. In the summer of 1994, Priscilla was informed by the police in Northern Ireland that her case was coming up. She returned to Ireland, but was not in fact called to give evidence. Now, Howard had originally been charged with five rapes and burglary, but the charges were dropped. Instead, Howard agreed to plead guilty to unlawful carnal knowledge. The implication was that Priscilla had been a willing partner and that the offence lay only in the fact that she was at 16, 16 sorry, which was under the legal age of consent in Northern Ireland because it's 17. Her statements had been heavily edited. A prosecuting lawyer told the court that no rope had been found. Judge David Smythe ordered that a psychiatric report be prepared on Howard and said that if it was satisfactory, he would not be, he would not be sent to jail. He was released again on bail. In 1994, after Howard raped Priscilla, another psychiatrist warned that he was dangerous to women and becoming more so. But he still got a suspended sentence, but not until 1995. Whilst on bail, Howard moved easily between the Republic of Ireland and the North and across the Irish Sea to England and Scotland. He was rarely monitored and never for long. So liaison between police forces throughout the whole of the UK and everywhere like that was completely minimal. During this time, Robert Howard was also suspected of having murdered 15-year-old Arlene Arkinson. On August 13th, 1994, Arlene was babysitting at her sister Kathleen's home on a house and estate in Castle Dirk. Now, Kathleen returned home at about 11pm and soon afterwards, Donna Quinn arrived to pick up Arlene. She said it was her and her boyfriend and her mother and Bob Howard that were going out. They were going to a disco at the Palace Hotel in Bundoran, Bundoran apologies, an old-fashioned resort which was full of kind of boarding houses and bars and amusement arcades. It's on the edge of the Atlantic and Donegal. Donna said that they'd be back by about two the following morning. So Kathleen said goodnight to her youngest sister, but she never saw her again. Priscilla said that Arlene was wild like me. We were alike too because I had no one telling me what to do and nor had she. We got on great. Now, Arlene's mother had died when she was just 11 years old and she lived between the homes of her older brothers and sisters, though sometimes she did return to her father's house. Now, her family did look after her and, you know, they brought her up as well. It wasn't like, you know, she was couch surfing and unwanted. It was like everyone was looking after her. Now, at first, after Arlene disappeared, the Quinns covered up for Howard, claiming that Arlene hadn't gone to Bundoran. However, it quickly emerged that after the night out, Howard had dropped off the others before driving away with Arlene. He claimed that he had dropped her off in Castle Derg and that he'd sent her in a car in the town the next day. He was not believed. 
because why would he be? But Paquin admitted Howard had got back home much later than she, he, he originally said. The terms of his bail on the charges concerning Priscilla included a curfew, which he'd broken, but he was still not held in custody for this. A petrol bomb was thrown into the Quinn's house. Howard was driven out of Castledur by members of Arlene's family and the members of the public. He sold the car he'd used the night Arlene disappeared. And for a time, he lived rough in a van across the border. Again, he was moved on by local men who knew his reputation. It was a full six weeks after Arlene disappeared before he was properly arrested. One of Arlene's sisters recalled something of a local RUC officer said at this time. He said, I wish I could show you that man's file. You wouldn't believe it. Still, at the time, he was neither charged nor brought to trial. Yet everyone knows what this guy is capable of. Now, in September 1994, Dr Ian Brown's forensic psychiatrist was asked to provide an assessment of Robert Howard to assist Judge Smythe in sentencing him for the unlawful carnal knowledge of Priscilla. Now, he said he has a strong desire to dominate teenage girls, both sexually and physically. He has the propensity not only to commit further offences of a similar nature, but also to escalate his offending behaviour. His activities were premeditated involving identification and targeting of a vulnerable victim and the use of a sophisticated grooming process. He also said he was pessimistic about Howard's ability to undergo any treatment programme. His pattern of behaviour had been established over many years and would be extremely resistant to change. But yeah, let's take a guess here. That report probably meant nothing to all the police, etc. Now, when Howard appeared in court again for sentencing in January 1995, despite this report, Judge Smythe gave him a three-year suspended sentence. So as he freed Howard, the judge told him to stay away from teenage girls. Like, that would stop him. Great now, advice. That's great. I love yeah. that. Now, you stay away there. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, no. Now, the psychiatrist heard the news on the radio and he said, I was somewhat surprised by the leniency of the sentence. In retrospect, we can see the system failed disastrously. Now, the psychiatrist never saw Dr. Dune's 1973 report on Howard, which was the one earlier mentioned, and he was also not told that Priscilla had alleged Howard used a noose. Now, Robert is still out in the community at this time. He's not in prison. It's a suspended sentence, and quite frankly, it's not going to stop this man, is it? Because why all of his past reports were not taken into consideration and clearly people like the psychiatrists aren't getting told each other's information and what's come across it so it's like they're starting afresh every single time it's beyond me but here we are now in march 1995 robert moved to scotland where he told local housing authorities that he had left northern ireland in a hurry because the ira was after him apparently now we don't want him no, we do not. Now, he was given a flat in the Glasgow suburb of Drumchapel, which it's a very deprived area, and he was placed near two schools, as one would be. 
Now, Pat Quinn came over from Castledurg to join him and the Northern Ireland Police informed Strathclyde Police about Howard's criminal record and that he was a chief suspect for the murder of Arlene Arkinson. Probs didn't go anywhere though, did they? Now, Howard returned to Ireland several times but kept his Scottish base. Pat Quinn, though, finally left him in October, by which time Howard already had another girlfriend and a woman he'd met in a pub. She had a 10-year-old daughter. The then Sunday Mail at the time, presumably acting on information that they got from the police, because that's how, you know, newspapers get all their information, they actually outed Howard. The newspaper printed a photograph of the face good, of to be evil. Honest. Yeah, for once, you know, sometimes newspapers do good. Now, the the photograph with the heading Face of Evil over one of the pieces about the twisted child sex fiend that detailed his criminal record and described him as one of Ireland's most dangerous sex offenders. The subheadline had a simple message, kick him out. So, you know what? Good for you, Sunday Mail. Now, within hours of I this... I know, do you know, we always... Sorry, we always slag the police, but, uh, the police, the newspapers, but actually that is good, to be fair. And this is obviously before the days of Claire's Law, so... That woman wasn't to know that her daughter was then in danger. Yeah, no, 100%. And because of this, within hours, a crowd had descended on the tenement house that he was in. The windows of his second floor flat were smashed. And the thing is, though, he used a rope to escape from a back window. So he got away with it. Now, he was on the move again. A police surveillance team located him at a hostel in Hibbergain, South East London. But he was house- hounded out by other residents who found out about his past. He disappeared for a time and was later traced to Broccoli, then to Catford. A child protection officer noted at the time that Howard was a difficult subject to monitor. It's like, this because this guy should be in prison. That's how you monitor him. Now, by 1999, he was living with a woman called Mary Scollum at her house in Northfleet in Kent. Now, Mary had formerly been involved with the father of Hannah Williams and had remained friendly with Hannah after the relationship ended. Mary would take her for walks with her dogs around the Blue Lake at the back of her house. Hannah Williams's parents had separated before she was born. When she was four, she had been sexually abused by a boyfriend of her mother's and had spent some time in care. In 2001, she was 14 and living with her mother in the outer London suburb of Deptford. She had learning difficulties and she was apparently described as a little bit young for her age. But clearly this girl has been through a lot. Robert met Hannah through Mary and showed a great interest in her. In February 2001, he took a home video of her cuddling the dogs at the house he and Mary now shared. On the 21st of April, she left home to go shopping in Deptford Market around the corner from her home in Elgar Close. She had very little money, but she liked looking at clothes. Her brother Kevin, who had a Saturday job in the market, heard her answering her mobile and having a very brief conversation, saying that she told the caller, I'm going now. By 10pm that night, Hannah's mother, Bernadette Williams, was worried. Hannah had been supposed to meet a friend that evening, but hadn't shown up. She wasn't answering her mobile. By 5am, Bernadette was frantic. She went to the police. She felt she wasn't taken seriously. 
Several officers have since been disciplined for the role in the initial stages of this investigation. Wow. By the end, yeah, by this time, though, they weren't taking her seriously at all. And Bernadette made her own missing person posters and took them round local shops and bars. But Hannah, she was gone. Now, almost a year later, a workman was using a digger to clear dense undergrowth on a land near the Blue Lake at Northfleet as part of the Channel Tunnel development. He found a badly decomposed body wrapped in a blue tarpaulin. Police initially thought it might be another missing girl, but when they released a description of the clothes, Bernadette knew it was her only daughter. Now Bernadette said, I finally found out my daughter was dead and that her body had been found by watching it on the telly. No, I screamed. I've heard of that so many times and it's bloody awful. Yeah, it's the worst way. And that, again, it just kind of probably shows how the police have been handling this whole situation for her. Now, Hannah's coffin was placed in a carriage drawn by white horses. And Bernadette said she would have made a beautiful bride. But instead of a white wedding, we had a white funeral. Hannah had been raped and strangled. The blue rope that had been used to kill her was still wrapped around her neck. Robert Howard was arrested in March 2002 and charged with her murder. During his trial at Maidstone in Kent in October 2003, it was revealed that he had used his girlfriend's mobile to call Hannah to her death. Now, Detective Inspector Colin Murray, who led the investigation at the time, had no witnesses and no DNA evidence. However, he had circumstantial evidence and he was also able to rely on similar evidence, similar fact evidence. Now, side note, this is what similar fact evidence is. In the law of evidence, similar fact evidence establishes the conditions under which factual evidence of past misconduct of the accused can be admitted at trial for the purpose of inferring that the accused committed the misconduct at issue. Can I jump on that quickly? Mm -hmm. I think that could be a positive but also a negative. Do you get what I mean? Like I think that could actually be a really good thing if you're going, well, he's committed this type of crime before, but what if he genuinely hadn't done it? And it's like, yeah, you've maybe done that crime in the past. And then just because you've done that crime in the past, you might, do you get what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. It's like, it's a good thing that's come out, but it's also, you know, it can be used for, I guess, as well, sometimes, you know, when the investigators are like, oh, it's this guy because he was a bad person in the past. And then they just kind of close off. It's like tunnel vision. They don't look at anything else. They're like, this is the guy. I get what you completely mean. Um, I think in this this one, this circumstance, though, fantastic that they did use it. Oh, yeah, this one's brilliant. I don't know but I was agree. like, that could be quite scary, like, in quite a good way just to, like, catch somebody being like, oh, this is similar to something that happened before. Okay, it must be him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but in this instance, it was used. And um, at court as well, on the trial, a young woman gave evidence that Howard had brought her to the same place where Hannah Williams's body was found later on, and that he had tried to sexually assault her, but she had managed to escape. So again, that was used. Now, Priscilla came over from Ireland to give evidence that showed Howard's 
grooming techniques. Crucially, she also described how when he was raping her, Howard had put a noose around her neck. Kathleen Arkinson gave evidence about Howard's part in Arlene's disappearance as well. It took the jury just three hours to convict him, sentencing him to life imprisonment. Mr Justice McKinnon said, it is clear that you are a danger to teenage girls and other women and have been for a long time. In October 2003, Robert Howard was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for the murder of Hannah Williams and also for Arlene Arkinson. Now, reporting on the trial was severely restricted because Howard had, by this time, also been charged with the murder of Arlene. So Mrs Williams, who is Hannah's mum, she hugged Kathleen Arkinson and the family at the end of Hannah's trial and said, see you in Ireland. Now, they assumed that she would be called and the others would be called as well for Arlene's case. But the Public Prosecution Service in Northern Ireland did not attempt to introduce similar fact evidence at their trial. So all the people that went over to the UK to do the one for Hannah, you know, with all his past um, cases, Northern Ireland did not bring that in. So Mrs Williams, Hannah's mum, did not go over to give any evidence. Now, it's not been explained why they did this decision. Now, the jury that heard the case in Belfast Crown Court in the summer of 2005, because of this, they knew nothing of the patterns of behaviour Howard had established in a career of sexual violence that spanned four decades. And so he was acquitted of Arlene's murder. Weeks later, he was also acquitted of other charges of sexual abuse against a 17-year-old girl in the 1990s. Police from Northern Ireland, uh, the Republic of Ireland and England held a one-day conference to discuss other crimes with which Howard might be connected. The police ombudsman for Northern Ireland launched an inquiry into the handling of complaints against Howard and the guard in the Republic applied for permission to question Howard in connection with the disappearances of at least two young women in the 1980s and 1990s. And British police questioned him about 13-year-old Amanda Dowler, who was also abducted and murdered in 2002. Robert gave them nothing. Barry Cummins, is a, who was a journalist, who wrote a book about missing Irish women and children, says that a thorough investigation into Howard's life is needed. This was a man who travelled freely all over Ireland and the UK and lived in many places. The police should be looking at all unsolved disappearances, murders and sex crimes against women and girls during the periods when he was at large. They should be asking, where was Howard? Now, Ireland established a sex offenders register only in 2001 and liaison on the monitoring of sex offenders between the authorities in the north and the South and between Ireland and the UK is seriously underdeveloped. Howard was a skilled hunter. He carried out random attacks on some of his victims while others were groomed. He could live rough but also knew how to play the system to get accommodation. He favoured poor areas and he tracked down socially marginalised women to use as cover while providing access to vulnerable young girls. The ones he chose had typically already had bad experience with men and were relatively unprotected. 
He faked kindness and deceived many. He was a soft-spoken man, like people have said before, including the psychiatrist. He had a completely different side to him. He could wrap you around his finger. Arlene's body has never been found, and the search does continue. Now, Robert Howard died in 2015, but if we jump to 2021, just a couple of years ago, following an inquest um, that was supposed to be given out, the findings were supposed to be released in 2020, but obviously COVID and all that jazz delayed everything. Now, Robert Howard was actually made responsible on the balance of probabilities for the death of Arlene Arkinson. Now, following a long-running inquest, Coroner Brian Sherrard at Omar Courthouse found that she died on the morning of Sunday, August 14th, 1994. He said, there is no record of her being alive after that date. Robert Howard, a violent sexual offender and the last person to be seen with Arlene in the early hours of August 14th, 1994, was responsible for her death. The mechanism of death is unknown. The court is confident of the date of death as Howard began establishing an alibi from the morning of August 14th at a time when Arlene's disappearance had not become known. The coroner also ruled that the death happened in Northern Ireland but the precise location remains unknown. Now concluding the, his findings, the coroner said I would like to reflect on Arlene who would now be a woman in her 40s, and it is a matter of profound regret that Arlene did not get to live her life and to live to her full potential. And I would also like to reflect on the very grave injustice that has been done ultimately to the Arkinson family due to the actions of Robert Howard, and I would like to reflect on the exhaustive manner in which Kathleen in particular has driven this case from the first day after the disappearance right through to today, and that is remarkable, and Arlene herself has been served ex exceptionally well by her family in the intervening 27 years. Now, the case of Robert Howard strongly suggests that the authorities, from the police to the prosecutors to the judiciary, simply did not take rape seriously enough. I think all of this could have been completely avoided. But yeah, what's your thoughts, Caitlin? Um, I totally agree. Yeah, I think you hear this a lot, though, where police don't take things seriously until it's too late. But what is good is actually they've like a mid-fault here. And like yeah. hopefully they've then learnt from that going forward. But obviously that doesn't fix what's already happened. Um, but you do hear about this where police don't take it fully seriously enough. Or do you know when someone goes missing, you hear about it when it's like give them forty hours or something. That's like nope, like the first forty hours are the most kind of crucial. So yeah, I get it, and it's quite yeah, it is motive's quite an interesting one as well. Yeah, what what do you think his motive would be? I don't know. I don't. That's the thing. I don't actually know if there is a singular motive or if it's a power thing or if it's from like, I know we hate blaming the whole childhood experiences, but if it is maybe because he was treated like that and had no control as a child, is he now wanting to treat people like that and have control as an adult? <clears throat> I don't know. It's a lot to think about, to be fair. Yeah, definitely. It's one that there's many questions that's still unanswered, but there's also stuff that you're like, you could really delve deep into it and just think why, how, what happened. Now, I, I would say as well, I think probably the time in the priesthood, well, he wasn't a priest, but in those areas and things probably did affect him. Let's be real. And it probably was in the end part oh, yeah, of why he acted. Affected him. But again, 
was he born like this? We'll never know. <laughs>